to our listeners, I'm pretty sure that you know a Puerto Rican that lives in your community, is your doctor, is your professor, you follow some music, you went to a restaurant, all sort of things. The imprint of the Puerto Rican community here in Central Florida, if you haven't noticed it, look around, you're going to find it. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Nights Do That. UCF is recognized as a Hispanic-serving institution, an HSI, and September 15th marks the beginning of Hispanic Heritage Month. So who better to have on the show than Professor of Sociology Fernando Rivera, the founding director of the Puerto Rico Research Hub. We've got a great episode ahead discussing how the hub is not only empowering students, but the Puerto Rican community. Central Florida has a large Hispanic population, which has grown in recent years, especially in the five years since Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico. With more than 27% of Knights identifying as Hispanic, UCF reflects the makeup of the Sunshine State. We're a national and global leader in researching Latino culture and sociology. Today, we're discussing what all of this means and why it makes UCF the place to be. We're just going to jump right into the questions, if that's okay with you, and we'll yep. go from there. Yep. Love it. Awesome. All right. Fernando, you have been with UCF for 17 years. When you decided to join the university, you were a postdoctoral researcher at Rutgers in New Jersey. Can you share your story and why you chose to join UCF and come to Orlando? Yes, absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me. That was around 2004, 2005. I was doing a postdoc. It was the Institute for Health, Healthcare Policy and Aging Research at Rutgers University. And I knew that there was a growth of the Puerto Rican population in Central Florida. I had small children at the time. And I knew, you know, what better place to raise a family in a sunny, warm place with all the theme parks and all the amenities out there. So it became really attractive. Looking at those demographic changes, that this was going to be the place where there was going to be a potential area to expand my research. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, at, at those years, the Department of Sociology and Anthropology were together and they split. And we started doing a PhD program in sociology. So that was also a draw that, mm -hmm. you know, we have a growing, new, exciting PhD program that I could be part of making sure that it was successful. So the stars align in some way to make it a very exciting place to be. And I even recalled at that time, there were about 42,000 students. So I've seen sort of the growth of what we have today, even though it was large at that time, right? It was very exciting to see what was going on, and I've been able to experience that growth and being able to raise my family, do my career here at UCF. Can you indulge me a little bit? You knew you wanted to expand your research. You knew the population was growing in Central Florida for the Puerto Rican demographic. Did you ever expect or plan on the research hub? Did you at that time or anytime soon after start envisioning something like the hub? How did that come about? Where did that idea come from? Sort of the evolution of what is the hub, right? I started, you know, doing my research, publishing articles, you know, what faculty do. I think it's around 2010. Mm, gotcha. That we started seeing, you know, this growth continues to happen, right? And, and you know, following for Rican politics, the financial situation was not great. So you started seeing a lot of movement of people to Orlando. And... I remember I was part of a group of researchers that we did a special edition for a journal from the Center of Puerto Rican Studies over at Hunter College, and it was, you know, Puerto Ricans in Florida. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of, hey, this is sort of an area of research that we need to emphasize. And, you know, we have a bunch of researchers doing sort of that work, but it was in its very infancy. 
in terms of looking what are the patterns out here. And I think that's was the beginning of a, you know, we should be start looking at this. This is sort of one of those blessings that we have of being in the geographical area that UCF is at. I don't need to come up with a new research idea or anything like that. People are coming here. And, you know, if you think about all the population movements, right? Like, you know, Cubans in South Florida in the 60s and the 80s and all that growth of that research, the same thing with Mexican-Americans in the West, you know, even Puerto Ricans in New York in the 40s and the 50s, right? That, you know, those institutions that were there kind of like took the ropes in terms of, hey, let's analyze what's going on with this community. What can we learn and how can we apply that to our research? And I think that was that was the start of the evolution of doing that. And, you know, I started bugging different people, right, from my chair, all oh, the colleagues, yeah. the dean, whoever I could talk to, to push kind of like this idea. And, you know, the demographics of the area was changing, even the demographics are student body as well. So at that time, I used to teach intro, you know, those mass intro courses give you a glimpse of mm -hmm. the generational shift of students, right? And I started seeing like, hey, there, there's a, a change out here. And then, you know, once in a while, you know, when I started, there were like few students that identify as Puerto Ricans. And then, you know, as I grew along, there, there were more and more and more. This is also something that students might be reflecting upon as mm -hmm. well, right? And so, you know, with that representation, what does it mean? What do we need to do? That was sort of the evolution of all of this. That's really amazing. That's really, really fascinating. And you have a depth of research under your belt in a wide range of topics regarding the Puerto Rican population. So I have two questions with that. The first sure. is, what drives you to do this interdisciplinary deep dive? When I was doing my postdoc, and one of the things I was researching upon, you know, I've looked at mental health issues surrounding the, the Latino community. And one of the things at that time, we didn't have the data source to tease it out, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we started pushing it was, you know, are there differences between the Latino subgroup ethnicities, right? The life experiences of Mexican-Americans and Puerto Ricans and Cubans and other groups might be similar, but they're different at the same time. Mm -hmm. There was this national databases and surveys that we can start teasing out. So that was sort of the beginning of kind of like looking at this and what are some of the connections out here? And I'm a sociologist, I look at the structure, right? You know, where do you fit within that structure and whether you can be part of that structure or not? What are some of the barriers or what facilitates that integration into society? Mm -hmm. So looking at that, it crossed over into different disciplines. And even the postdoc that I was in, it was interdisciplinary postdoc. You know, I had psychiatrists, anthropologists, historians, sociologists, you name it. That made a shift in my mentality, right? Because when you go to grad school, you know, you have to be trained mm -hmm. in your specific academic field. But then you start thinking, how can I apply this with the lenses that I bring from my academic discipline, but start listening to other disciplines as well? And that's, I think, mm -hmm. what became sort of this interdisciplinary view. And I'm always being a fan of saying that complicated problems require complicated solutions. Yeah. And we have a tendency to say, oh, aha. You know, this is what is going to solve this problem. Doing my research is, you know, I, I can tell you that it's a process of different mechanisms that we mm -hmm. have out there. There's a plurality of answers to the research questions that we have. I think that puts sort of that interdisciplinary boundary out here. But a lot of it, you know, the training and, and looking at other perspectives out there. So that was a very good sort of transformation into my thinking and sort of the advantages of having kind of like that postdoc experience. Oh, absolutely. When you're 
listening across disciplines, you're always going to have more information. You're always going to have a better, more holistic understanding. So I know that, especially for a researcher, that you really appreciate that. But from somebody who can look at that research and know that it's well-tested and well-founded, I can appreciate that as well. So my second question there is, how has it shaped your understanding of your culture and heritage? That's a very good question. You know, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. We had this sort of this perception of, you know, we are U.S. citizens and the way it's portrayed in the Puerto Rican media is like, oh, people are talking about Puerto Rico all the time in the U.S. And the reality you come here is like, hey, nobody's talking about us, right? Yeah. And, that, and that's not only for Puerto Ricans, that's for every sort of single group, right? Uh, yeah. That, not to say that is so unique. But I think that was the, kind of like that understanding, you know, what's happening out here in terms of, you know, what is my place within this new society that I'm sort of trying to integrate to? Mm -hmm. So kind of like from that personal experience, trying to understand, you know, where some of those roles out here and whether people have a, an easier time or a more difficult time in sort of making a contribution to their community. You know, from the research, we know that about your third generation, everybody becomes part of the community that you live in. Yeah. You know, regardless of the difference and all sort of stuff. And one of the things that I wanted to put with the research up as well is that this is a blueprint for other communities that might come or might not come out here. So kind of like have that understanding. And I think that that was a driver of trying to understand my own personal experience and utilizing my research to try to understand it. And then, you know, it just blew up from there and sort of expanding into different ways. Have you had any interesting student experiences? You understand how it's affected your understanding of your heritage and culture. Have you seen anything interesting or something you want to share from students, fellow faculty members, anything like that? Absolutely. You know, one of the things I was an undergrad, I had great mentors. Mm hmm that saw something in me that I didn't see myself. Yeah. And I try to do that with my students. And my students tell me like, hey, what you saw in me? Why did you take a chance on me? You didn't have to. Mm -hmm. And I think that issue of mentorship and sort of paying it forward, and I've seen it right now. You know, so some of my PhD students now are faculty and now they have their own students. Absolutely. And they're keeping doing kind of like that same tradition, right? You know, I can tell you, I still communicate with students that, you know, I had students from my intro class like 10 years ago that we still keep up. And it's a long time approach to this, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just giving that little seed in terms of the impact. But for a lot of them, they were like, hey, things were taking a chance on me and sort of providing me a home. You know, kind of like a story I could share, you know, with this old, this COVID thing, right? Yeah. So I was in the middle of a research project. So I had to hire some students. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it was through Zoom. Uh, you know, no face-to-face. -face, yeah, absolutely. Knowing, all those type of things. And, you know, it turned out that it was a great experience for them. And they were amazing students. But being able to provide that experience that is apart from your everyday sort of student experience that you take your course, or you go to work, or you do whatever it is that you do, providing that home, that emphasis, you know, it has made a significant change in their lives. And I continue to hear that. And I think this is some of the things that is so important to me of undergrad research and sort of providing students with that emphasis that yes, the training that you get in your classes is okay, but remember that you're gaining a skill set. And there's nothing like applying what you learn in the classroom to real life circumstances out here. Absolutely. And even with the projects that we have had and the opportunities that my students get, you know, they see it, right? They see the value of education. They see the value of what they're doing in the classroom. 
And I tell her, like, hey, you're accumulating skills. You're, you're not going to go to an employee and say, hey, I can do a literature review. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I can consolidate information into something that you can read very easily. And so those experiences have been very satisfying. And, you know, I think it's a responsibility also in terms of this type of mentorship that we need to pass on to the next generation. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll continue rolling that ball down the hill and getting this compassionate and just being there for students sometimes. I think as faculty, we sometimes forget about the privilege that we have mm-hmm. in terms of going through the journey of learning with our students, that sometimes we forget about that. And it's just, it's, it's so simple, right? It's just replying to an email, just saying thank you, just saying, you know, the little things that make such a big impact on students' lives. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that's because you're on the other side of it, right? You've gone through the educational experience and now you're pushing forward academia, right? So you, you've had that experience, you've had that gratitude for a long time leading up to it. And now that you're on the other side of it, Sometimes you're so caught up in, in furthering the cause that taking that moment to breathe a little bit with the students, that really makes the difference. Absolutely. Absolutely, it does. That's amazing. As you and I both know, UCF was designated in 2019 as a Hispanic-serving institution, HSI, and continues to hold that designation today. Listeners, we've interviewed Dr. Sinyu Muniz, Director of HSI Culture and Partnerships at UCF, about this topic in greater length on Episode 9 of the podcast. So go check it out after listening to this episode. UCF received this designation. You founded the Puerto Rico Research Hub, and Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico within 18 months of each other. Can you walk us through that year and a half for you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, talking about the continuity, I was in Dr. Muniz's um, uh, dissertation committee. So we worked very closely as well. So yeah, that transition between 2017 and roughly 2019, when we got the designation, was probably a, a, a period of growth, not only for myself, but I think also for the institution. Mm-hmm. At that time, I was a provost faculty fellow, so I was working closely with the provost. And I remember that that week that Hurricane Maria actually hit, mm-hmm. We had a speaker, Dr. Jorge Duani from Florida International University, giving a presentation about the growth of Puerto Ricans in Central Florida. And the brothers at that time did come and attend the, the presentation. So he got a glimpse of, you know, what were some of the issues. People here at UCF and throughout our Central Florida community, the hurricane had hit and we were expecting, you know, maybe two days of no communication. Maybe this thing is going to blow over. And I remember like, okay, well, it's been a week. Uh, Well, it's been two weeks, so it's been a month. And you still haven't heard from your family. You still haven't heard from your friends. You don't don't know what the situation is going on. Mm -hmm. Compound that, all of a sudden, people start arriving to Orlando, and specifically to UCF. I remember people coming to my office, and I saw the desperation of you know, the, the situation was dire in Puerto Rico. There was no communication. There was no water. There was no electricity. And, you know, the ports were being blocked. And, you know, after the initial euphoria that, hey, I survived, then it's like, how am I going to get food? How am I going to do the things that I need to do? So a lot of people just went off. And we had, you know, that mass movement of people coming to our area. And again, they came here because already there was a large group of Puerto Ricans already established here. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Central Florida became sort of this area of recovery for Puerto Rico. Yeah. And it was one of those things that as I do more research on climate migration and all those type of things, 
it shows you sort of the uncertainty of how to respond to these things. So at the time, the governor did declare a state of emergency in the state of Florida to take care of the people coming from Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. Not that it was the first time that it's been done, but it's very unusual, right? Yeah, that, that would be the likes of the governor declaring a state of emergency for something that happened in New York or, yeah. you know, roughly along those lines. That allowed for a lot of the local agencies to give out help out here. The governor at the time actually said, if you come from Puerto Rico and you want to finish your education, we're going to give you in-state tuition. And I think that was a big draw that then all of a sudden, you know, students started saying, well, you know, they said in Florida, you can have in-state tuition. And that's a significant reduction. And, you know, I remember, you know, dealing with all the applicants and making sure that, you know, people had that. And I heard stories, you know, that people went to, you know, to fast food joints that had some type of internet connection and trying to get all those type of things. But like I was saying, in terms of the growth, and we knew we had a, a lot of Hispanic students, and now it was sort of the idea, you know, how do we serve this student population out here? Absolutely. And I think Hurricane Maria was one of those big tests in terms of that. And I'm happy to say that UCF as an institution did provide the resources, that welcoming atmosphere. And some of my students that ended up eventually at the Puerto Rico Research Hub, they ended up graduating. They found a home at the hub. I could say, you know, some of them are working in Puerto Rico. They went back. They're enrolling medical school. Oh, some of them are here, they're still working with me. So that was a good opportunity to test that out in terms of how we're serving this specific group of students out here. I think Hurricane Maria would serve this reintroduction to the Puerto Rican population that we already had in Orlando and sort of remove any doubts that, you know, yeah, there's a large segment of the population out here and that we need to help it out. And I think it was one of those big tests for us as a potential Hispanic serving institution and you see in 2019, we had, you know, sort of the official designation and we continue to do so under the leadership of Dr. Cindy Morales Muñiz. So I would say, you know, now it sounds very calm and relaxed, but those were very trying times in terms of, yeah. you know, dealing with everything at the personal level and then dealing with it at the institutional level. But at the end of the day, I think UCF did answer the call, and I'm happy that we were able to put everything together and start the research hub, and we continue to make sure that our students get those benefits and that we can answer that call. That hopefully is the blueprint to answer the call for other situations that might arise in the future as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's hurricane season right now, so who knows, right? It's Florida. It's To me, it seems like every even year we have something going on, right? That seems to be the count at least for my personal experience. So it's one of those one of those times for sure. And as a student who's going through classes right now, who's soon to graduate in a couple of years, I have friends, I have classmates who have come to the university exactly for that reason, from Puerto Rico. They're like, I came during high school, had my like last two years of high school education, and then I came to UCF. Like Hurricane Maria hit us hard and we had to figure that out. And so it was one of those things I really wanted to think about and make sure that I gave you the space to really talk about there because it matters so much, right? That experience, and especially for somebody like you who had two, three weeks, no communication, plus everything else that happens after that, the recovery that takes so long. And then we have the research hub and then the designation right after that. That's a really tough timeline, a tough beginning, but that's a really interesting transformation, right? Being able to hear that story and understand where it all comes from, that's the valuable part of all this. That's why we do the podcast is 
to share those stories, to share that empathy and make sure people are hearing that, right? What did it take to get the hub going? I know we've talked about it a little bit, but what went into that? We had the year of the provost mm -hmm. and eventually we had the year of our dean and it became sort of, you know, we need to do this now. We had students coming in. There was a big emphasis in the community and there was this conference in Miami and there was this other institution that wanted to sort of jump ahead and do something similar. Mm -hmm. We could brag that we're the only university in the state of Florida that has something dedicated as to the study of Puerto Ricans. And I remember having the conversation with Dean Johnson, which is now our provost, mm -hmm. and said like, hey, we need to do this. So we put our heads together, created a website, created the mission with, you know, the marketing team at the College of Sciences as well. Yeah. And we put it together. I know I had the research experience to do that, but this was another level, right? In terms of yeah. what is it that we're going to do out here in terms of that? So we started, you know, very humble out here, but even in our, it's going to be four years now, we've been able to have a big impact in the community. And I remember being featured on the local newspaper on the front page, Sunday edition. I think that was a big coming out in the world of the research hub out here. And every week I get a request from somebody, mm -hmm. either from the community here in Central Florida, from people in Puerto Rico to people everywhere. You know, we have make our mark and it's sort of the responsibility of carrying that torch, right? Mm -hmm. And we have been able to sort of advocate for people that necessarily doesn't have a voice, but through our interactions that we do, we're able to bring those up. So we've been up in Congress. We've been up, you know, we did Puerto Rico Baseball Day at UCF. So yeah. we partnered up with Major League Baseball to bring their clinic here at UCF. We've done conferences. We have provided a lot of opportunities for students to engage in research. So we've been able to, you know, fund some of their research and give them those research opportunities. You know, every time September comes, I get, you know, the media interviews, hey, how are Puerto Ricans doing in Florida? How is Puerto Rico? So we have created this research hub that actually provides this expertise that wasn't there before. And I think that's the important thing of the things that we do right now. And just gonna like give you kind of like the elevator pitch for the hub, right? Go for it. Uh, yeah, we're the center of activities dedicated to the study of Puerto Rico and Puerto Rico at the University of Central Florida. And we do four things. We do obviously research because I'm a professor. That's what we do. The majority of our research right now have emphasized on health issues and disaster related issues. The second thing that we do is provide opportunities for students to engage in research. I've been blessed to have a wonderful group of student researchers that you know, have gone on to grad school, medical school. They have jobs in the community, applied jobs, all those type of things. So it's been wonderful. Another thing that we do is we do outreach. So we do this kind of things, you know. We also have a podcast that we do and we do different media appearances and all those type of things, making sure that we give that voice and partnerships. We cannot do it alone. And, and we've been grateful to have the support for all groups in the community from the nonprofit sector to other research institutions throughout the United States, the local elected officials and, you know, different groups throughout the community out here. So creating this and being able to provide that home for a lot of people. And sometimes, you know, the request is like, hey, where do I get admission information? And I just say like, hey, you know, go to admissions out here and financial aid here. 
you have any more questions, just let me know. So we've been able to provide that. Being kind of like that middle person between the community and the institution has been important as well. And I can tell you, every time I go to a public event, people just say like, hey, my daughter went to UCF. Hey, my son went to UCF. Hey, what do I do to get to UCF? So I think that sense of creating that door, and that speaks to our, our Hispanic Serving Institution designation as well, you know, that we're opening the doors for the next generation of scholars and researchers. I'm glad that we've been able through research, making sure that they're part of our community. That's what we want to do. And I think that's the best part about it. That leads me right into my next question, actually. What does the hub mean for the Puerto Rican community at UCF in Central Florida, but also for the world, right? Like this research will further the entire world community. What does that look like? I see this as a public good. At the end of the day, this is a state university. Yes, I've been able to create this, but this don't, doesn't belong to me. Absolutely. This belongs to the public. And I, I'm pushing to see like, hey, there's a public good that people should use. And I think that's an important reminder of what we do, right? What good does it do to do research that I'm just going to keep to myself? And sort of changing the way we view scholarship as well, right? Obviously, you know, the, the world is a moving target and... You know, things continue to evolve, but I think we've been able to provide that blueprint of what other groups can do as well, right? And more and more we're seeing that academics are stepping out of their bubbles and sharing more of what they do and see the value of what they do and the impact that they can have in the community. And I think right now I could tell you anybody that wants to know about Puerto Ricans in Florida, they come through the hub. We have created that reputation and that's not only for the media, but that's for researchers, that's for partners, that's for everything that we do. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that obviously I didn't do this by myself. It's sort of the institutional support from UCF, the students and the staff and everybody that has contributed to this. So we are kind of like at that point that, you know, we can make a real impact out here. Absolutely. And now the next step is, you know, how do we learn from the experiences of this community and how do we tie them up to other experiences throughout the world. Hurricanes mm -hmm. are not exclusive to Florida. Hurricanes are not exclusive to Puerto Rico, right? We need to start getting out of those bubbles and try to understand what are some of the things that other countries are experiencing, mm -hmm. right? As we see more and more in terms of the potential issues with climate change, you know, issues of drought. Can we talk to our Middle East and North Africa partners that have dealt with this with centuries? It's something that's happening right now in the West Coast of the United States, but, you know, potentially water is going to be important. One of the things that we have been able to create, like we have a great relationship with the consulate of, of Japan in Miami. Mm -hmm. People say Japan, Puerto Rico, what, you know, what's going on? But if you think about it, you know, island nations dealing with hurricanes, typhoons in that part of the world, yeah. an aging population. You know, what do you do out here? And that potentially for Florida might be an issue as well. Energy resources, right? And what do you do when you have to import all your energy sources and a major crisis happens, right? And you start seeing, so the next step, how do we look at those similarities and learn from others, right? And also from our Caribbean partners as well. And for me, the hub, my vision is the hub to become sort of this research gateway at UCF for Latin America and the world. We start with this, we study this population, but we set kind of like that framework. So we start making these connections. Again, looking at that holistic view, right? We're going from just one small discipline into that interdisciplinary holistic view and, and how are we working with others and collaborating to do that, right? 
again, unleashing that potential by finding those similarities, by finding that information or that thought process that wasn't there before. I get asked a lot of time from, you know, being on a grant with engineering or other type of disciplines, because they're trying to see that cross-disciplinary, that holistic view of things that we need to do. That is not only about doing the infrastructure, but we create infrastructure for social purposes. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand the social aspects of it, it might be a pretty building, but are they going to use it or not? Exactly. Yeah, it's that intersection of technology, STEM, and the arts, right? The humanity in the infrastructure, the humanity in the technology. That's where we really find the difference in the value. Absolutely. We've discussed Hurricane Maria. This episode will be released around the five-year anniversary of the storm. Because of this, I'd like to double-click and zoom in on the topic. Can you talk about your research around Maria, the storm's impact on the community, both on the island and abroad? Without a doubt, Hurricane Maria was a catastrophic event for Mm -hmm. Puerto Rico. And still to this day, the reconstruction is going on. One of the things that Hurricane Maria, it was an awful event. But at the same time, it unveiled some of the situations that were already ongoing on the island. Mm -hmm. That lesson learned in a way of, hey, we need to really look at our communities out here and not only concentrate on the event, but what is going on out here? You know, why were people coming to Central Florida before Hurricane Maria? So what we learned in terms of that, there was a mass migration after Hurricane Maria and the majority of the people came to Florida. Mm-hmm. But what we learned from our research as well is that a lot of people went back. But a lot of people did stay. How do we deal with that? Mm-hmm. Tying everything together out here. You know, if, if this natural phenomenon continue to happen, what do we do in a state that continues to grow? Yeah. The response to the recovery here in Florida was magnificent. Not without headaches and challenges, but I think we were able to pull the resources to make sure that we had a good response to the people that were coming in. From the Recovery Assistance Center that was open at the airport in Orlando and similarly in Miami and other places, that really brought about a model of how to confront these realities out here. Obviously, the impact in our community has been immense at all levels, right? To our listeners, I'm pretty sure that you know a Puerto Rican that lives in your community, is your doctor, is your professor, you follow some music, you went to a restaurant, all sort of things. The imprint of the Puerto Rican community here in Central Florida, if you haven't noticed it, look around, you're going to find it. Yeah, of uh, course, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and I think, you know, sometimes people don't realize how fortunate they are that they could have so many experiences here locally, we don't have to travel that far, mm-hmm. right? And it's not only, you know, sort of, it's a Puerto Rican population, but I mean, you can get authentic food from almost every ethnicity here in town. Oh, absolutely. A huge reason why I chose UCF was the food, <laughs> actually. The Orlando area and the food scene is immense. We have a, a lot of artists that, you know, before they go to Puerto Rico or after they go to Puerto Rico, they stop here, mm-hmm. right? You know from the big artists like Bad Bunny, Mark Anthony, all those type of things, they do come here and that's been an imprint. And now we have festivals and we have all those type of things. You know, we have the Puerto Rican Day Parade in April. That's been a contribution as well. Obviously, you know, the problems that everyone has in the community is a problem that Puerto Rican community has as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, inflation and affordable housing, all those type of things. It was a very rocky type of journey for Puerto Rico because after 
Hurricane Maria, then, you know, there was the political turmoil when they discovered these unfortunate comments with the governmental officials that led to the resignation of the, of the governor. Mm-hmm. That was the summer of 2019 or so that you saw sort of those ripple effects of what was going on. Then you tie it up to the earthquakes. That was the beginning of 2020. And now we know sort of the COVID pandemic also. It's been sort of not necessarily what you trace in terms of disaster recovery, right? Because it's been sort of this a cascading effect of different phenomena out here, you know, from financial turmoil to political turmoil to earthquakes to a pandemic to, you know, the issues with our relationship with the United States. But surprisingly enough, right, Puerto Rico has been on the forefront of the COVID response. Yeah. You know, great vaccination rates, a very low death rate. The plot continues to evolve in terms of what does this mean in terms of the future of Puerto Rico. But at the end of the day, visiting the island, things have evolved and continue to go in the right direction. But it's taken a little bit of time. I think people don't realize that that's where we need to start seeing the lessons of other communities as well. After Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana, and and Louisiana continues to, kind of like that area, continues to experience a bunch of storms, but sea level rise, all those type of issues out here. It brings about sort of those issues that we need to understand that sometimes there's a short-term recovery, sometimes it's a long-term recovery out there. In September, it's five years after Hurricane Maria. Although there's been movement, there's still a lot of things that need to be done. The island's been hit nonstop with one thing after the other. It's hard, even for a community that has faced so much disaster, and they've clearly learned how to properly and effectively respond, still one thing after the other building on top of each other. That takes, it takes a lot, and it takes a long time to build back from something like that. Infrastructure doesn't get built in a day. No, and, you know, now we have inflation and mm-hmm. all those type of things that really becomes a challenge. You know, when you get a quote for a building... From prices for 2019, it's, gonna, it's not going to be the same in 2022, right? Absolutely. Uh, in terms of that. But I think it, it has shown the resiliency of the Puerto Rican people, but that doesn't solve our governmental entities for the responsibility they have towards their citizens. But it has shown that, you know, Puerto Rico has gone through a, like 20 years of not necessarily favorable events. Mm-hmm. but keep surprising the world in the way they're responding and continue to be on a positive trend. Well, I have two wrap-up questions for you. What advice would you give someone who wants to do what you do? I would say patience. You know, we live in a world where you want instant gratification mm-hmm. all the time. All the time. And I, I think patience, the virtue of patience comes with getting older and understanding the world a little bit better. So I would say don't be in a rush to try to figure it out Everything in your life in the next two weeks is a process. So learn about the process and learn from that. And I will say, don't be afraid of failure. Mm -hmm. Learn from failure. If you fail, it means you tried. And I think sometimes people don't try because they think they're going to fail. That that fear of, of not living up to your expectation when at the end of the day, did you learn from it? That's the most important thing. Absolutely. And I would say the last thing is to listen. To learn more, not talking, but actually sitting back and listening. There's this great quote. I can't remember who it's from. I apologize for that. But it's, listen twice as hard as you speak, or listen twice as much as you speak, right? And it's that idea that 
sometimes all you need to do is ask the question. Absolutely. It becomes more important right now. We have so much access to information nowadays. Sometimes too much. <laughs> Don't get wrapped up in a bubble. Mm -hmm. Try to listen to perhaps a point of view that you don't agree with, but see what people are thinking about in terms of that. I think, you know, we kind of like polarize ourselves and we don't listen to each other, right? Yeah. We try to talk over each other and sort of rationalize everything to your own perspective. And I think sometimes we need just to sit back and listen and learn from that. It's hard to be heard when you don't want to listen to others, right? Mm -hmm. So my second question then is, What's one thing you're still hoping to do, both personally and professionally? I would say professionally, you know, can we take this to a bigger audience in terms of that? Those sort of personal ambitions and, you know, even professional ambitions of can I be part of administration and all those type of things, kind of like a higher level and the lessons that I learned. Awesome. Thank you so much, Fernando, for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. The Puerto Rican community has such a rich story and history that goes far beyond the topics we were able to cover today. At UCF, we take pride in our designation as an HSI, so check out our other social media platforms for more content related to Hispanic Heritage Month. On the next episode of Knights Do That, Deborah Knox is going to give us the insider scoop on speech-language pathology and UCF's Communications Disorders Clinic. As always, if you're doing something cool, whether that's at UCF or somewhere you took UCF that we should know about, Send us an email at socialmedia at ucf.edu, and maybe we'll see you on an episode in the future. Go Knights, charge on! Our clinic is unique because it does have that dual mission to provide speech-language and audiology services to the community, while also preparing the next generation of speech-language pathologists.